G'day team, welcome to the Two Towers podcast, a Middle Earth strategy battle game podcast. I'm Jordy, And I am Albert. And this is episode 15. 15. Um, now, full disclosure, this is going to be a bit of a shill episode and it is going to be <laughs> far and away from what a normal Two Towers episode would be. But fear not, we are releasing two episodes on the same day. Yes. So in theory... Uh, if you're not interested in uh, what we're talking about today, jump across to episode 16 and you'll hear a proper full tournament review. That's right. Resume for normal scheduling. This, <laughs> this episode is also kind of an explanation as to the length of gap, perhaps. Yes, this is a good time. point because we have not released for, what, two months? It has been a long, long time. And for good reason, like... I fell out of thought and time and look, stars were wheeling overhead and each day was as long as a life age of the earth. Right. Now, I've heard that before, but uh, we'll not dive too deep into that. So what the, has actually the, happened? The short answer yeah. is I was uh, putting together a Kickstarter. Yeah. And look, it's popping off so far. It's going and well. It's if going you're well. listening on day of release or at least within a couple of weeks, it's still up there. Let's look it up. What are we finding? So my uh, Instagram handle, which is Microforge Miniatures, um, if you look at that on Kickstarter, we're currently running a Kickstarter called Slice and Slot. Slice and Slot. Which is a new way to build fantasy terrain. Yeah. Or at least that's, that's the tagline. A new and easy way. Yeah. Look, it's... It's easy in the sense that you can get great building outcomes with still handcrafting things. Yeah, and that's the, I guess, the sort of key thing that you're leaning on. Because look, there's yeah. now a bunch of STLs out there of various buildings. Heaps. They're, they're a little rigid in what you can do with them. I yeah, think. like once you've 3D printed everything from a set, that's it, right? That's it. Like, and it's very hard, unless you've got a very select set of skills like yeah. Liam Neeson, it's very hard <laughs> to actually edit those STLs yes. and modify them. And who's got time for that anyway kind of thing? I've spent, I think, like five hours on Blender and I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I can't imagine taking a house from, yeah. let's say, some other anonymous Kickstarter to changing it up and then, re yeah, just no. Yeah, so... The, the idea... And there's something, I mean, you'll, I'm sure you'll lean into this, there's something tactile about. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's we've talked about this at length on the podcast and I guess that's why it, it's barely acceptable to do an episode on it <laughs> because, like, the tactile nature of this hobby is why I keep coming back to it. Mm. Painting the models, making terrain, that's, the, that's, for me, the biggest part of the joy. Like, playing the game, I'm not that good at playing the game. <laughs> but I, look, I still enjoy it. Yeah. But the main, the main amount of time and energy yeah. and focus is definitely on the hobby for me. Especially for hobbies like us. I think if I had to give a number, it's probably like 90, 10, if not oh, more to be I, honest. I would say for me, 98, 2 would yeah. be the split between yeah. actually playing the game and um, doing stuff for the game. Yeah. Yep. All right. So we've got Slice and Slot. Um, I mean, do you want to give us a quick shorthand of what it is sure. and then I want to get a long story out of you. Yeah, sure. Okay. So the, the brief overview is basically um, the system combines um, like detailed resin 3D printed components like windows, arches, doorways, that kind of thing. And it combines it with XPS foam. Yep. So you slice out the foam, you slot in the 3D print. Um, the, the thinking being that the hardest thing to carve by hand 
in foam are all of those intricate details of yep. windows and archways. And it's the first thing, if you if you stuff it up and the stonework looks a little bit skew if, it's the first thing in my mind that kind of breaks the immersion behind the, yeah. the terrain looking like stonework or badly carved foam. Yes, and I think, I mean, we'll get into it for sure, but your, your thing's really cool because it all lines up and we'll get to that later. All right, so what's the long of it? How did this come about? Because there's, it's very unique. And I'm, I say that in a good way, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Look, and, and that's why I run this Kickstarter because I, I haven't, like there's, pl- like you were saying before, there's plenty of great fully 3D printable terrain, but this is something that's kind of a bit of a unique take on how to put stuff together. So the backstory, where it all began, there's two um, kind of key pivotal moments of forming the idea and then taking it into like actually developing it uh, to a marketable system. Yep. So the first starting point was way back in the day when I was into the game as a young fella, the last supplement that I ever bought was Ruin of Arnor. And it's in that, supplement. oh, it's the best, honestly. <laughs> in that supplement, that for me was kind of the pinnacle of the terrain that Games Workshop made for the game. Like all of the ruins in there were really- And didn't really, they make a fully fleshed out Fornost? Yeah, it was like a full Fornost. Yeah, insane. Ruined walls, like it was amazing. And if you if you know the terrain, you will see that it still crops up in some of the photo shoots. Oh, in, So it's still kicking around. Yeah. Um, stood the test of time, which is yeah, a testament to the to the design. So um, that was the initial point where I like, I want to recreate all of the terrain from uh, the that book, um, yep. and I started developing up kind of some ideas around modeling three D stuff. Yeah, but it took a long time, and I, I hadn't really figured it out in my head, so I kind of abandoned that project. So. The second part of where this story kind of kicked back up was at the beginning of COVID, Lockie launched his big uh, Minas Tirith community build. There was a shout out to all the community to get them to build stuff. Um, but he also went on to do Tuba Town, which was his yeah, YouTuber, Tuba Town. Um, collaboration, which was very cool. Um, Tuba Town and one Instagrammer. Yeah, came in a, a late edition. Uh, <laughs> and um, I reached out to Lockie and said, hey, do you want some like free PDF guides that the community can use as Mm. like a starting point to develop these architectural pieces, right? So you have kind of a consistency around what the goal pieces are. Jumping off of this slightly, you actually were involved in creating the walls that he initially... I came in a bit later. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah. No, so what well, did you jump in on? So so I saw Lockie doing the the wall sections and struggling with the, the ramparts because that's yeah. like really complex stuff. Yeah. And I figured there was a way to do a, a actual cutting jig for that. Yeah. So after he released the first video, I was I like, see, hey, I, I can help yeah. you with that. And also, do you want these extra PDF guides for people to use? And he's like, yeah, awesome. Yeah, see. All right. Um, so I developed those PDF guides Um to be used like as a free resource yeah. because the spirit of the project was very much um, get the community involved. Well, and what I like with that, and I think you're about to link into it, but I'm jumping and stealing your thunder, is that it, it creates like a, a standardization. Yes. Yeah. And that was part of the that was part of the discussion I had with Lockie was like, how do you control like this thing actually looking like Minas Tirith at the end if there's no kind of guidelines or parameters? No cohesion. Uh, exactly. So um, that's where that kind of came about. Where it fell down though was accounting for different levels of crafting skill level or experience. Mm-hmm. So again, what I was talking about in the in the intro, like the hardest thing to carve well is the fine details of like window arches, window, doors, yeah. all that kind of, like 
carving an, uh, that radius of an arch accurately, if you're going to do it properly, it takes a bloody long time. And if you stuff it up, it's kind of your eye looks for errors in yeah, things. Yeah, so yeah. that's the first thing that jumps out. And so Lockie was like, yeah, really cool to have these PDFs, but I don't know if we have like the, the level of quality control that I want for yeah. things to be on film. Yeah, right. right. So you had dished out a PDF that were you an experienced hobbyist to cut it, yeah. it would be okay. Yeah. And but I, if you gave it to a, a green blood and they cut it, it just wouldn't. It was complex. And and also Lockie was, he, he wanted it to be fairly loose uh, in terms of like not overly prescriptive. So being able to be used by people who only have access to foam core or different thicknesses of materials. So in, in my head, the whole time I was designing them, I had specific thicknesses for each of the different wall sections and yep. stuff, but I didn't put those levels of measurements on the PDFs because I didn't want people to feel like they had to build it in a certain way. So yeah. again, um, that that whole process got me thinking about, okay, well, how do you create a system that is kind of easy to use that still uses XPS foam but um, doesn't rely necessarily on you spending hours and hours and hours carving in all of these tiny details? Because, like, the fun mm. of making terrain is having an idea for a ruin or a building and then, like, T translating that idea into a yep. physical thing. Yep. The fun isn't in spending. It's spending hours carving <laughs> it. It's in once it's carved, how good does it look? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that, that that moment of like, yeah, I had an idea and now it's a physical object and we get to play games on it. Yep. That's the cool thing. Yeah. So I, I guess that's the um, the long and short of the, the backstory of how this all came about. So from that point on, I kind of went away and was developing this whole system um, by myself to figure out how to actually get to that end goal of having something that anyone can pick up mm -hmm. and use and get good results. Yes. And now piggybacking off of that, the system, I've already said that it's pretty unique and it, I, I think it's quite genius. Uh, oh, I think. <laughs> so how did you come up? with this sort of intermingling of the different types of materials. Sure. And then, yeah, well, let's start with that. Yeah, okay. So, um, again, a bit of backstory. I had previously been kind of crafting hybrid terrain for a while. And what I mean by that is I would use XPS foam, but I would laser cut MDF windows and arches. Ah, uh, yep. And I think there's a bunch of companies that do this approach. Um, and and it's it works works really well the issue that i always had with it though is that um like mdf is a super smooth flat surface mm -hmm. and then you've got xps foam which is all rough and textured and so there was like this really kind of jarring disconnect yep. Yep. between the two textures so the the idea spawned that um and really it became a reality with the rise of 3d printers and resin 3d printers yes right? none of this would have been possible without it yeah so i started thinking about okay well i've i've done this hybrid thing in the past with inserting mdf into um xps foam is there a way to get more detail and texture through 3d printing so i had um, this idea of bringing the three elements together. So the XPS yep. foam, the 3D prints with the STLs for um, resin 3D printing, and then the MDF jigs, which kind of 
yeah. is the link yeah. between the two, right? Yeah, he's, that's the bridge between. Yeah, them. yeah because sure. so so the MDF jigs are these kind of series of cutting jigs that um, give you the correct size and proportion of the arches that correspond with the 3D prints. Yeah. I mean, sus, some of the videos that I'm sure, Albert, you've put up on now, the Microforge YouTube officially. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you basically just put the jig on, it fits perfectly and it fits yeah. the size of the, the window you're chucking in. Stencil the line, cut it out. It can be, it can even be slightly rough cut. We'll get to that when I talk about my little experience with it. <laughs> um, and then you chuck the STL in. So it bridges yeah. the gap. You yeah. use that, cut it open, and then the SDL fits perfectly into the frame. Yeah. And so around that SDL, so the, the actual um, 3D print fitting into the foam, the other part of using in the past, using MDF and inserting it into um, the foam is you've, you can always see the connection point between the MDF and the foam. Yes, it would be so, hard to disguise that. Exactly. And it, so if you stuff up the cut of that foam, then again, like you've got this beautiful pristine MDF arch in a jaggedy cut. Um, piece of foam <laughs> and it, it kind of doesn't go with, with each other. So the big part of this system is around how the 3D prints actually slot into the foam. So the, the 3D prints have like a U channel. It's almost um, like you slice the foam and then slot it in. It's <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sorry, go on. And so um, by doing that U-channel profile, and it kind of makes more sense when you when you see pictures of it. Basically, what that means is that the three D the three D print is sleeving the um, the foam. Yeah. So you get this really seamless connection point between the stonework of the three D print and the stonework of the foam. Yep. Um, and that that's really the crux of it. So taking three elements, the foam, the 3D prints, and the cutting jigs and combining them uh, in a way that actually means that you have complete creative freedom over what you're creating. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen some of the results that, I mean, you've done. Um, and I had a crack and could do whatever I wanted. So, again, we'll get to that later, which was really cool. Um, I want to hone in on the jigs for just a second. So... Um, was there any special technique to getting these guys done? I mean, all you would have had to do was just make them perfectly sized, right? Yeah. So this, the the jigs that people get on this Kickstarter is actually version three of the jigs. 3.0, so, all so right. Th there've been two other iterations of it. Um, basically, I've tried to hone it down so that, A, there is minimal waste in terms of cutting the pieces out on the sheet. So we're, we're having to ship less physical stuff around yeah. the world. Or if you're um, laser cutting it um, wherever you are in the world, because we're going to actually include the laser cutting files oh, sweet. for people that back digitally, so they can laser cut locally, avoid shipping. Yeah. Um, and but even then, um, we, we're setting up these sheets so that it's minimizing the amount of waste material that that we're producing as part of it all. Um, but each one of the jigs is sized to correspond with the three D printed elements. Yeah. So each of the arches we've got. Um, different sizes ranging from extra, extra small all the way up to extra large. And that naming convention or that size convention then matches the file names for the um, 3D prints. Yeah. So you'll get all of the files and you go, okay, that's a large window. Therefore, that corresponds to the large cutting jig. And for all you with physical, it's very easy to just size match. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's, there's enough difference between the different size jigs yep. that you can um, – you can figure it out just by holding it up against yep. 
um, each of the pieces. Uh, and again, like we've tried to streamline it so that there's less, uh, like as few jigs as possible so that we're not, you know, giving people 30 different arches and which one is it. Yeah. And so I think we've got it down to nine, like archway um, jigs. Yeah. But my favorite jig of them all is the Scoromatic 10,000. Well, yeah, this, this thing is genuinely really cool. So, like, even if I wasn't doing slice and slot stuff, I'd probably jump on this and... Yeah, it, look, it's it's the one that has probably the most utility. So yeah. I kind of named it the Scoromatic 10,000 as a joke and that joke is stuck. Yeah. Um, 10,000 because it's like it cuts 100 mil of um, XPS foam. Um, so let me tell you what this jig is actually about, <laughs> right? So the Scoromatic 10,000 um, is this little sandwich that you slot your XPS foam into and it's got a whole bunch of horizontal lines. Mm. You carve those horizontal lines using a scalpel blade and that gives you the horizontal lines for all of the, the stonework. Yes. Um, sounds really simple and it is. Um, it's it's something that you kind of slide the foam through to keep on scoring repetitively. Yep. Um, the, there's a video that shows how to, how to do that properly. So check out the YouTube. Um, and... This then becomes like a measurement system for you mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So all of the brickwork are in increments of either 10 and 5 mils. So say you want to insert a window 20 mil up into a wall, you can just count the, the horizontal lines and go, okay, cool, that's my 20 mil line. I'll cut that out. Yeah. And that's that's kind of that's good if you're just doing one piece, but then it becomes even more useful if you're doing multiple walls. Yep. Because they've all got the same um lines scored on them yeah. so it's interchangeable and you you don't get lost you don't need to keep re-measuring each wall segment yeah because you know they're all at the same like let's say they're four lines in yeah you cut everyone four lines in put the window in yeah it's you know that's going to be identical uh spacing yeah exactly so and and that's a big part of this whole system is like you want to be measuring less and enjoying just crafting more yeah, yeah, yeah basically yeah, yeah. All right, so we've got the jigs. I mean, the XPS foam is basically, we don't need to talk about that really. Well, I mean. We do, okay. I was going to say. Go. In, so one of the unintended impacts of COVID in Australia was yeah. that the cool XPS foam that we used to be able to get from Bunnings is no longer being produced. Right. Um, so on Lockie from Zorp Zorp, you'll, you'll see a lot of his builds. He uses this great yellow foam and it's yeah. perfect for crafting with because it's okay. got the right density and texture and blah, 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 blah. So this XPS foam is um, locally manufactured in Melbourne, um, which is, you know, vaguely where we are. Yep. So um, it's – a and it's high-quality, high-density carving foam. Yes. Which you can't get at Bunnings anymore. There you go. Okay. So there is actually like, – I, I knew you got this stuff specially made – for yeah. your Kickstarter and for yourself. I didn't realize that it was like, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. All right. It's actually, it's actually, turns out the foam is interesting. <laughs> Everything's interesting if you're interested in it. Yeah. Um, no, but it is, it, it's um, for, for local Australian uh, guys. I know it's been a, a real, and girls, I know it's been a real pressure point for the crafting um, and terrain building community of like, where do we get good foam from? Mm. Um, there's a, okay. there's also a group in Perth which manufacture it, but the shipping costs are like as much as getting something shipped from Europe. So okay, right, yeah, can't do it. Yep. All right, cool. So we've hit two of the uh, parts of this. We've got one more left. We've got the STL files. Yes. 
Well, I guess the archways and, and windows. I guess yeah, the actual, say. the actual, you know, the the designed pieces of 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 this thing, um, which like this was a learning curve. Man. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I've used three D modeling software in the past, so like putting together the MDF jigs, easy, totally fine. Like that's in draw some models. lines, draw some lines. It's all two D, fine. Um, even modeling in 3D, that's totally fine. But sculpting in mm. 3D, that is a different kettle of fish, let me tell you. Um, and there's a decent chunk of fine detail. There is. And and I've kind of got my method honed down very keenly now. For brick work specifically. For stonework only. Don't come <laughs> not, to me for anything else. You're not the next memory. You're not, you're not sculpting lines left and I right. am acutely aware of the <laughs> skill gap between myself and Andrew Medbury. But speaking of which, Medbury has been um, really helpful in terms of showing me the ropes on or just giving me pointers on how to model things up. Um, but having yep. said that, I've, I've done all of the 3D modeling um, on all of the, the 3D printed stuff myself in the end. Yep. So yep. Um, it's been a real process. Um, hence why I have been so silent on the podcast. Yeah. 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 It's been very involved. It's been, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it, look, it's one of those things where, um, once you learn a new skill, it becomes easier, but like 3d modeling is a beast. It's a monster. It's a real beast. Um, I, I, I told you this off mic, but I opened like a blender profile of one of Medbury's miniatures yeah and it's just it's got so many faces yeah. so many vertices it's yeah, just yeah. Yeah. insane the detail that goes into that and and the the thing the thing with 3d printing is that you've got in like it's you're modeling in infinite space so you can have mm. infinite detail which can be a bit of a trap especially yep. when it comes to like modeling things to be painted because at a certain point the detail that i model on the stonework isn't going to be picked up on the printer. Well, that's actually interesting that you pointed that out because recently I did have issues with a file and not being able to print it out because the detail was too small. Yeah. But also just even, this is a bit of a side tangent, like for example, the elven banners, how they have the little filigree. Mm. I can't paint that. Mm. Well, I mean, literally I can. Yeah. But I'd rather that just be a blank space for me. Yeah. So it's interesting yeah, yeah. that there is that detail that is lost. I, th- I think it's, and, and this is something that, you see different 3D artists have different approaches for there. There are some, I think there are some 3D sculptors who are sculpting detail for themselves. Mm. And there are some that are sculpting detail for painters. And what mm. I mean by that is as a, like you're saying, as a painter, sometimes you actually want a bit of flat space. Mm. You know, you don't want all of this intense embossed filigree yeah, yeah, all the covered, time yep. um, because it, it kind of railroads you into painting it a certain way. Right. Um, Anyway, <laughs> tangent aside, back to the uh, doorways and arches. So, what have we got? So back to the back to the actual pieces. So um, the the base range first license lot uh, is about thirty pieces. Yeah. Um, I think with all the stretch goals that we've added in, once the campaign finishes up, that will be closer to 60, 70, maybe pushing up to eighty. Anyone thinking um, of going? We're already like halfway there, <laughs> over halfway, right? Yeah, we're, we're over halfway um, in terms of the the, the stretch goals that, that we've unlocked at the time of recording, um, and um, it's one of those things where there's no limit to the amount of ideas that I have. <laughs> It's just the amount of time, the amount of time. To, yep. to model that stuff up. So like as much as this Kickstarter is going to close and we're going to you know, finish everything up for it, there will be more pieces added to it over time. Mm. And, you know, 
this this is you know architecturally this looks a lot like um, some uh, ruins uh, or or buildings from a white city a certain a white city. certain white city maybe on um, a river yeah potentially uh, half owned by one side half owned by another yeah. it's a perpetual siege yeah. up until a certain potential uh, breakthrough with a certain captain of a certain <laughs> country under a certain steward that <laughs> retreats and then is ep yep uh, still very vague of where this vague, belongs. Very vague. I mean, keen-eared listeners <laughs> might be able to piece that together. Um, but, you know, there's there's other things that I want to do, like there's a certain city that was ravaged by a certain dragon um, and mm. looking at kind of doing stuff in that realm. Um, so there's, there's different settings that I want to try and develop this system into down the track. Yeah. Now, now that I've kind of got all of the pieces working together, it should be easier next time. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've got it. the skills down pat. You've got, I mean, you've got the jig sort of sorted. Yeah. And there might be slight alterations to all this. Yeah, but yeah. Like you're working from a base now instead of working from nothing. Yeah, because it has been very much like there's been so much to do to mm. get it all to a point where it's ready. Um, it's been a little bit... Uh, Overwhelming, but <laughs> we got there. We're out um, on the other side, and, that, and that's the um, that's the main thing. So, that I think that that probably verbally describes the backstory reasonably well enough. Um, and if you have more interest, then obviously go and check out the Kickstarter or the YouTube channel, uh, Microforge Miniatures, to to see it in action a little bit more. Um, but Geordie, you've had a first crack at using the system I did I had a go at it what did you think uh, and kind of preface this by saying that we um like I didn't give you any tips or tricks or pointers no. leading into it because I kind of wanted a more um like honest reaction to the system in terms of how how it all went so how did it go yeah so I went in completely blind uh now I've got the bit the pieces in front of me I'm sure when we upload this, we'll have it painted up and looking real pretty. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I'll notice is I had a lot of fun with the Scoromatic 10,000. <laughs> Just cutting shit. I don't know. It's fun. So I had two bits of foam. Cut them in their little bits. Um, cut them with this. I, I'm pretty sure this is what you're meant to do, right? Cut it with like a hobby knife. Mm. And then I grabbed a pencil yes. and just pushed in the groove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. Yeah. And then I just randomly, more or less randomly, scored the ups and downs. Yeah, and I think it works better to just do it in a bit randomly. You know, because the horizontal lines are so fixed in terms of if you if you do them too rigid, the so if you do the vertical lines too rigid, it might actually end up looking more like bricks yeah. than stonework. Yeah, I mean it might work fine as well. Like if for, if you're doing like a maybe a royal building or whatever, True. where they would have spent more time, True. maybe that's the look you go for. But I mean, we're in a certain collapse city, so we're not doing that. <laughs> um, and these are the houses for the plebs, you would assume. So <laughs> sorry, guys. That's why they're ruined. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, that was the first step. I'll I'll say that took now of the whole process. That bit took the longest. Yes, by a long shot. Yeah, which is to be expected. But when I say long, this whole I had finished this whole thing in under two hours. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah. from start yeah. to finish, in theory, I could have had a whole house in like three hours. Yeah, which is pretty baffling. But I only did half a house. So, um, so there was that bit. It was still fun, just like cutting lines and drawing lines, easy. Now, now we get to the slice and slot element. Mm. The true slice and slot element, mm. sorry, because the Squaromatic was heavily involved there. I had with me basically three window sections and a door, mm -hmm. and you would give me a bunch of jigs to correspond with them. Easy peasy. 
So I took the door one, um, which I think was maybe medium or a uh, medium. I, I think, think it was a medium. Yep. Yeah. Um, chucked it in. It hugs the the phone perfectly. It's all pre-measured, of course. So mm. nice and easy. Chucked it in, stenciled it in. Um, now this is the, uh, the, the this is the fun bit. This is where it goes from like looking like a blank wall to mm. actually being a building. Um, so I got my hobby knife out, cut that um, stencil that I'd drawn in, cut the cut the hole, and you go, all right, great, we're here. What is great? What I what I think is great about this is that the the cuts did not need to be perfect. Mm. Like I tried to be reasonably precise, but I mean I'm using a hobby knife and cutting into foam. It like sticks and it. Yeah, moves around a bit. and it can tear as well a little bit, tear, right? yeah. especially when you're cutting around curves. That's yes. the hard part. I'm pretty sure I had a tear or two underneath yeah. this. You won't be able to see it though, yeah, yeah, listener. Yeah. So, cuts with a few inaccuracies underneath, but then chuck in the STL print, the little doorway that I've got here. It just slot in perfect. Mm. Like, mm. I don't think I needed to glue it. I did glue yeah. it, but I don't think I needed. You don't to. really need to, and I kind of. Go between so sometimes if my cut is wildly inaccurate, I might put in a bit of hot glue yeah. as like a, a a bit of filler to fill the gap between yeah. the foam and the three D print. It's not actually gluing it in place because yeah. if it's a door, then it's being glued to a base, mm -hmm. and if it's a window, then it's got some foam underneath mm -hmm. it. So it's it perfectly enclosed. Yeah, um, and like the other the other thought here was like down the track, if this if you drop this foam and like the foam breaks or whatever, you can just rip the windows out and reuse them. That's true. Yeah, um, if this all came undone. Because the foam, like that amount of foam is the, the least expensive part in this. So yeah. you can, uh, you know, reuse or recycle those 3D prints. Yeah. But anyway. So I sliced open a hole and I slotted in a door. Uh, fit perfect. I don't think I needed to glue it. I did glue it just in case. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was worthwhile. You never know. Yeah. And... And again, full disclosure, I did. There are accidents under this door. Mm. It is not perfectly cut, and yep. yet here it is, looking pristine. Which yep. I think that's the key part, because like you mentioned earlier, with like the MDF, like extensions, yeah. you stuff it up and you tuck it, tuck it on. Just you can see the stuff up. Yeah, here yeah. you can't. So. Yeah, it's 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 insurance yeah. against um, you know like because. You can either cut things well or you can cut things quickly. Quickly, and this yeah. is all about cutting things quickly, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then we jump to the several window sections, and this is sort of how you were saying, if you pick a certain height through the the Scoramatic ten thousand, you'll get them at the same elevation every time. Yeah. So all three of my window sections, I did the same thing, which was undercut where I was going to put them mm. at the at the third line. It yeah. Looks like so, undercut at the third line, so that I could stencil in the windows and chuck them in there. Same thing um, for the. For the single digit window, worked perfect. Mm. Just did, the, I think it's the extra small, maybe even the XX small. Um, drew out the outline, cut it out. Um, I And like I said, I'd cut off the bits underneath, by the way. Uh, cut it out, slotted in the window, chucked the brickwork back underneath. Mm. Again, I glued it on. Uh, you probably have to glue the foam mode though, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, this was the sort of first bit that I think I did a, a decent stuff up. But that's okay. It's all learning, and it's all about uh, improvise, adapt, overcome. No one will ever know. <laughs> uh, so there's a triple digit window. Yeah. So what I did with the stencil was stenciled out the full window, moved the stencil all the way across. Yeah. 
like beyond where the first stencil was, where yeah. what I should have done was have them overlap. Yeah. Because of course, all three of these windows are like overlapping each other in a way. Yeah. So I didn't do that. I stenciled all the way across, stenciled all the way across. So what ended up happening was my uh, cut was like an extra maybe half centimeter to yeah. the to the triple digit window yeah. uh, STL. Yeah. Um, which was uh, which was noticeable. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. When yeah. I slot this guy in, there was a good, even uh, even after the SDLs like sort of hugging stonework, there was still like visible. There was still cut a gap. through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's okay because it's a ruined city. Let's just smash it. No one will know. And uh, look, that's uh, that's actually a really important point to this. Uh, if if there are any listeners that are kind of starting out using slice and slot. Absolutely start by building a ruin. Don't try and build a pristine, <laughs> yeah. perfect building because there's there's a bunch of stuff that you'll kind of pick up and learn. And this is one of those ones. So like we could have had a separate cutting jig just for that window. Yeah. But then you're increasing the amount of MDF and MDF, shipping costs. Wastage. So in terms of this one, it's it's like a, a, a triple archway. So instead of having uh, one jig, you just take yeah. the extra, extra small and you, like you say, you you have to draw it on three yeah. times. Which right? is fine. I, I didn't have a problem with that. Like now that I know I can not do the stuff up again. Yeah. And once you know it's easy, like yeah. you're fine from here on. And I think... Like who cares if everyone stuffs it up once? They're like whatever. Totally. Like foam's cheap and yep. just kind of you can either choose to do what you did, which I think is actually very smart, yeah. or throw the foam out and, and start, start a new, again. Start a new piece or, or whatever. Um, just even go as far as like cut out some extra foam, chuck it in and then squeeze it yeah. together. Like there's yeah, yeah, yeah. a there's million ways different ways to fix it. There's a way so, to it. So how did you choose to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I chose to fix it by breaking it. Um <laughs> Yeah, there was the a 3D print. That yeah, is. yeah. There was a little bit of that extra overhang. And I was yeah. like, okay, so the 3D print in its current state doesn't fit. Yeah. So what if I had the wall break apart? Yeah. Therefore the window would have broken apart. So yeah, I cut through the STL with the hobby knife. It took a bit of strength, but it did cut through pretty okay. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of half shattered, half cut, but that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. prepared for that because I I knew that was coming. And so then where that little, so I put the three-digit window into the building as far across as it could. So now there's there's not that big hole. Mm. And then where there was that big hole, I just pushed the other part of the window frame into that mm. and mm. then separated the wall pieces. So where I had cut the hole on both sides is now perfectly filled. Mm. Just there's that little section in the middle, which where you to put the pieces together, they might not touch. Yeah. But it doesn't matter if they don't touch because the stone's broken. Totally. So totally. It's entirely disguised. So. Yeah. And like, look, one of the stretch goals that we unlocked um, for the <laughs> campaign was to have ruined versions of each. Oh, but of you don't the, need it. You can just smash it. I, I'm, I'm very much aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much aware of that. But I am also aware that for some people, they like to have things like modeled a certain way. Yeah. Oh, right? no. So yeah. you can actually, you know, when you get your, your the 3D prints, you can smash them up yourselves and double the amount of pieces that you have, mm. right? Mm. <laughs> Essentially. Um, uh, or you can get the, you know, the actual, um, designed uh, broken up ones that print broken 
Um, yep. So yep. Pull, pull them hot off the 3D printer, broken and ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's also another interesting thing, right? Like, so 3D printing can sometimes be a bit of a fickle beast. Like if you're printing and it's too cold, sometimes the prints might not work 100%. Yeah. And I've had a couple of times where um, an arch has printed perfectly on one side, but not perfectly on the other side. Right. Like, oh, I'll just chop that and that can be part of my ruined oh, yeah, there you go. Kind of yeah, bits yeah, yeah. box. So, so all those who have that digital pledge, if the print doesn't go quite right, yeah, you can, don't don't throw anything out. Like you can use use all of it, um, yep. you know, for, for ruins or um, rubble or whatever yep. it might be. All right, and then the long wall. Now, Albert, you actually gave me some beta uh, jigs. Yes, that's okay because they all worked. But you forgot to give me the long one. Uh, but it's okay. Uh, Just improvise, adapt, overcome. And th- I guess this <laughs> is kind of the the main thing I want to sell here. Not that I am a salesman here, but. Albert didn't pay me, I swear. There's no gun to my head right now. I'm blinking twice. It's under the table. Yeah. <laughs> um, so instead I took that medium um, jig, yep. drew the line upwards, easy. So it had the perfect height and then guesstimated the other end of it, sure, drew the line sure. up and then just drew a vague yep. line, a, a crescent line to match the, the window. Yeah, yeah. Cut it out. Again, it was like maybe half a centimeter off yeah still hugged it yeah so even without the proper jig yeah i'm still able to yeah because there's that guideline of what the jig is trying to do or rather what the the stl windows were trying to do so it's a good point you don't actually need the jigs the jigs are like a very easy like very they're, convenient they're a um oh what, what would you call them they're like a ease of use yeah. kind of thing right like they speed up the process yeah but when i was first prototyping the whole system i was um, sending out a couple of stls to kind of a select group of people to see how they thought it yeah, worked to do the play test thing. um one of them was to um medbury i sent him a few very early test pieces so he was able to get it all to work without any of the jigs and then after a while i sent him up a, a copy of those beta um, cutting jigs um, that you you had as well um, so that he could kind of speed up the process. But yeah, look, you don't need it. Um, it just yeah. makes it a bit easier. I can tell you, huge convenience to have them. Yeah. Stenciling yeah. in those those windows and then just cutting, piece of cake. Yeah. It took all of a, under a minute. Like Yeah. There's, there's no thought involved. No thought Doing involved. it that way. You just yeah. kind of go into autopilot. I want the window there. Yeah. Boom. There you go. Okay. And then obviously the quick improvisation didn't take much longer. But at the same time, if I had that jig. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so small bit of improv, but it was fine, like totally fine. Chuck the window in uh, and Bob's your uncle. I had uh, a side wall. Now, the last thing that I'll mention is you gave me the two basically fully formed bits of foam. What I sort of realized is that it's quite a big building because I didn't cut them down, right? I just yeah. went in as yeah. is and I was like, well, that's a very big building for so few walls and stuff. So in order to make this a better game piece, because it's how how long are these guys out there? So I think the three hundred mil long and a hundred mil high is like the base. Yeah. When, when you rip the foam out of the box, if you if you back the physical pledge, which gives you foam, mm. then um, that they're they're pre cut to three hundred by one hundred, yep. which is bigger than you necessarily need. Yeah. With the intention that you can cut it, you cut down, it down from there. Yeah. So in theory, I probably should have cut them in half, but that's okay. So to keep this like game playable, so Lord of the Rings specifically, of course, if you listen to this potty, um, I wanted a few more entrances because it was basically like you've got maybe six inches a door and then like five or six inches Mm, mm. that's a lot of line of sight blocking and movement Mm. blocking yeah now the door obviously opens up an entire section 
but that's not enough. So what I wanted was to sort of smash in the corner um, that would have been a connector between two pieces. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, on that side. So now there's like about five or six inches, the door, one or two inches, the big opening. Yeah. And then on the, uh, the other wall on the other side where there's no like, where there is that long break, instead, once you get around the corner, there's about, what do we got? Maybe four inches before an infantry could yeah. walk around. So there's this one section that's quite blocked up. But that's okay, I think, because yeah. it's, you know, six by four. You know, that's still one turn's worth of movement to get around. Whereas were it to be in the state that I had it initially, I think it would have been pretty inhibitive gameplay. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, that's that's uh, that was just me and what I had with the terrain piece I had. So I just um, cut it open. Now, the important thing here is the way I've done, the way I cut the bricks was using essentially the guidelines that the Scoromatic had given me right so mm. i'd already cut in all the brickwork and so i just sort of took a the hobby knife and just cut through the brickwork patterns yep. as if they had like broken off yep and like by the, at the tips of it i would have crushed a little bit of the the foam off and put dirt there where the the landing all is so it's yeah, like it's yeah. been shattered through by like a rock whatever yeah and it's just fallen or maybe just it's you know rotted through age and time and all that sort of stuff so uh i think you can use the the bricks the brickwork as a guideline for things like that. Well, that's an interesting point that you raise because when I <laughs> my my kind of obsessive compulsive nature, if I'm building a ruin, I first start by imagining what the full building was, yeah, and then like mentally pairing parts off that. Yeah. So and this system kind of allows you to do that in real time, like you literally saying, build the full building. Like you build a full building, or you know you build a full wall, and then. Um, you're like, oh, that's a bit far in terms of movement. Let's just rip this section of wall out. Mm. Um, but then you can use that as well. Like you say, like you can break that foam that you're not using up into little scatter rubble. Um, mm -hmm. So again, like don't throw anything out. Everything can be reused and um, adapted on the fly really easily. Yeah, I would say that was the the easiest part of that was how quick you could adapt to things. Uh, and other than that, I think the... All right, so my Etsy review... Quick and convenient, mate. <laughs> it was so easy. Genuinely. That's good. I'm, I'm a moderately experienced hobbyist yeah. as far as making terrain and stuff. I don't do it often, but I can do it. So, But even if you were, you know, green-blooded, easy as piss. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you say that because that's that's kind of the, the point of the whole system is I want to give people an opportunity to actually hobby Mm. beyond just painting a 3D printed piece of terrain or beyond just assembling a plastic kit um, and then painting that. Because as much as I love the modularity of um, a lot of the Games Workshop kits, they are like choose your own adventure but stay on the rail. Yeah, choose like, your own adventure, one of six options. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and this is kind of a, like you say, like you've got this big hunk of foam, you get to choose where the doors, the windows go, whether you want it two floors, one yeah. floor. Um, it is, it's modular in, in the sense that you can, you've, you've got these modular elements, but it's also free because you're using XPS foam and you control yeah. what the end thing well, is. just straight up. It's infinitely modular. Yeah. It could do infinite things with it. Whereas like the G dubs, you can do like three things and some of the SDLs you can do maybe one or two. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully it tickles people's hobby. Um, pickle. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Now. The final little section, because there's a freaking lot goes into it all. 
you have run this through Kickstarter yeah. and it's popped off. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about Kickstarter, how it all went, because I know there's a lot of freaking oh hiccups here. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Running something on Kickstarter is like it's a lot of work. It's been fantastic. I have loved it, but it takes a hell of a lot of effort and there's so many pitfalls. Mm. Like just uh, if you're running a purely digital Kickstarter, <laughs> you're smart. Walk in the park. <laughs> well, it's piece it's, of cake. It's look, n- no Kickstarter is easy, yeah. but it's um, it, it simplifies a lot of the parameters because my Kickstarter is aimed at both people who have access to 3D printers, but also people who don't. So yeah. I think I should probably start there that like there's essentially um, three main ways to back the project. You can be um, somebody who has a 3D printer and want to just grab all of the digital files. Yeah. Um, and there's also a, an option for you to include the digital files and MDF jigs. Um, then there is the the master crafter pledge level. Mm-hmm. This, this assumes that you have access to your own phone, but we will supply you with like a certain amount of physical prints um, and the physical MDF cutting jigs. So you, you bring your foam along. It assumes that you can cut it up into 10 mil strips, which is what the whole system is kind of based around. Um, and and away away you go. Um, the the third and final one is the initiate crafter, which is um, someone who's just starting out. Um, we give you pre-cut 10 mil XPS foam, yeah. the physical prints and the MDF jigs. Basically, it's like slice and slot in a box, everything you need. Everything, um, which to be honest go. is the one that I'd go for. But that's because um, I cannot get foam for the life of me. Yeah, so. hard, to, hard to track down locally. Um, so those, those are the three ways that you can... Um, Broadly speaking, back to the project, there's kind of a little bit more nuance when you go onto the Kickstarter page. I won't bore people with, <laughs> with the details. But um, the um, so the decision to run the Kickstarter in that way was because I've seen a lot of just purely digital mm. Kickstarters recently, which is great for people that have access to 3D printers. But there's, there's this kind of gap between people who are interested about 3D printers but don't have the space or capacity to, to run them at, at their house. So mm. um, this was a way of doing that. And because we're only 3D printing the components as opposed to full buildings, then it becomes a little bit more doable. Mm. Um, having said that, we have had to limit the number of physical pledges just because, like, you know, I, I, I would prefer to give, like, 200 people a physical pledge in the next six months yeah. as opposed to give 300 people a pledge 10 months from yeah, now, right? Yeah. Like just in terms of production. The logistics time. would be insane. And that and that's been the hardest part of this whole Kickstarter process is figuring out, you know, all of the the, the postage and packaging and the the cost of production of all of the stuff. Not only like, like I can pretty accurately calculate how much um, resin I'm going to need, mm. but electricity to run the printers to do the things um you know there's all of these different factors that kind of go into it which have been a bit of a headache um like wouldn't change it for the world but wish i knew all of the things (laughs) i I now know and there's all these nuances when you're setting up a kickstarter around like if something's a um a digital um product then you can't add on a physical component to it so oh. there's 
when, when like the, all these little nuances in terms of how the pledge system in Kickstarter works. And when you, when you read it before launching, you're like, okay, whatever. And then you actually launch and you're like, oh, now I understand the implications of these, these kinds of I find of that so strange. Well, this, and, and so like there's certain things like I, after launch, I added a bunch of different ways to back the project because I realized that people wanted slightly different Yep. sizes or you yep. know different things like you know we added in the, the the option to have um people just buy the stls but also get the mdfgs yeah before launch i thought ah, oh, the people that are just getting the stls they can add on the mdfgs but no they can't because mm. they've only backed a digital product and the mdf is a physical product and so kickstarter doesn't allow those two things to right coexist so anyway it's getting into the weeds a little yeah. bit but yeah it's been like awesome to see it so well received yeah so far yeah. i've been completely blown away by because this is the thing right like i've been working on this system on and off for like 18 months yeah. in my own little world yeah and i've shopped it around to like maybe a handful of people yeah. of like hey what do you think yeah and they've said yeah this is cool but <laughs> like that's five people kind of thing so you, you just and never five know. people who are probably inclined to tell you that it's exactly. good. Exactly. <laughs> like five, five people that A, have a vested interest in 3D printing, um, are interested in terrain building. Like our our hobby uh, Venn diagram is yeah, heavily yeah, yeah, overlapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of overlap. Um, and so you just never know if you're one of, you know, that's that's the five people that would actually buy it or, yeah, yeah, or if yeah. there are actually more people out there that would be interested in it. So it's been it's been really cool to see that um, it's, you know, it's doing doing pretty well. Yeah, it's huge. Um, and look, I'm glad it's been successful so far. And those listening, go jump on the Kickstarter and have a bloody cheeky gander. Yeah. It's, to, it's some really cool stuff. At the time, and look, if you miss out on the Kickstarter, we will be releasing the files on my mini factory at a later point. Yeah, cool. So, you know, if you miss the Kickstarter, you're listening to, yeah, this, listen in to this in two the years distant time. future. You've still got it. You can still go and grab, get your hands on it. And we might also look at doing like, you know, very small um, amount of physical products that we um, sell through an online store down the track as well. Yeah, right. cool. Yeah, for sure. Because again, like, I mean, ultimately though, that that will only be for people in Australia because we're we're um, we've got a bunch of uh, like three D printing companies overseas that will be stocking the product. So yep. that way, people don't have to pay stupid shipping from yeah, Australia. Eight hundred dollar Australian tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which has been the biggest kind of headache to it all, to be honest. Like shipping from Australia is just bloody expensive. Yeah. To anywhere else in the world, it's mm. it's cheaper for us to get things shipped here from the UK than it is for us to ship to the UK. I mean, it makes sense, right? Sure. Planes only go one direction. It's a so. one way trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, that about covers it, right, Albert? Anything else to say on the uh, the old slice and slot project? No, look, I think we've probably covered it enough on today's episode. If you're at all interested, go and check out the Kickstarter. We'll have a link in the show notes. Um, and also, um, you know, you can go and check out the YouTube channel to actually see some visuals. The Instagram is also got a few images up on pieces that I've made personally using the system. 
Um, and there's also a couple of other YouTubers who have. Yes. Have yeah, been, I've, I've enjoyed. I think um, the only one out at the time of recording might be 3D Game. game yeah, game. Adam Hake, who was. That was a cool one. He, so I think we shouted him out on our Peering into the Palantir section. There you go. It's all come full circle. Um, a few episodes ago. And so I reached out to Adam and said, hey, I've got this um, uh, system. Do you want to have a first crack at using it? Um, you know, mainly because I love his channel and how he goes about mm, his hobby. Mm. And it was awesome. He did such a great job. Um, again, like I, I didn't give him a huge amount of guidance on how it all worked Yeah, and just kind of was like, you just figure it out. Yeah, if you, yeah. if you, you get you. stuck, come and ask me, obviously, but interested to see how you manage it. So there's 3d games. There's going to be a few more videos. Um, Benji's hobbies. Oh, cool. um, yep. He's Benji's in the process of making one at the moment. Um, Anders. Hey, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, another peering into the Palantir Whoa. feature. Um, basically, my and and, um, and then Nat one uh, videos as well. And there was a feature on Zorp Zorps. Yeah, you've already been on the Zorp um, uh, community build. Yeah, that's right. So that that was where it kind of started. That was the bit. You know, Zorp Zorps huge, obviously. Um, but I've never heard of him. But, <laughs> yeah. Apart from like, look, I've I've talked to Lockie and kind of we've been back and forth for for years and years now. So that was that was kind of a um, it was nice to finally kind of get something to to line up and, and get on the channel. Um, but the the rest of the YouTube collaborations have definitely all well, I mean, all of them have been because I like the creators and I like their approach. Um, so and, if you weren't approached and you're a YouTuber, I guess that says something, doesn't it? Probably. Looking at you, last line to noobs and men. <laughs> yeah, just saying. That, <laughs> let that beef roll yeah. on. <laughs> how does that? How does that? Uh, how does that taste? Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, um, <laughs> I was pretty limited with the amount of like pre-production stuff I could send. Yeah, it's time and really, isn't it? Look, yeah, because I had to get that stuff out to them kind of months in advance to give them enough time to mm. actually make the videos, although some have had more time than, than others, yeah. <laughs> to, be, to be fair. Um, so super grateful for those guys, um, you know, making uh, videos that, that feature it. They do a much, like Adam from 3D Games does a much better job of explaining the system than I do. <laughs> I didn't want to say. It, yeah, it turns out that he's yeah, like you know, his his job is a, as as a teacher. So he you know he's got the skill set. Um, yeah, but and that's part of the reason why I wanted to give other people like fresh eyes a go yeah, at it. Yeah, because I've been living in this kind of hypothetical terrain making world for so long. It's the curse of the expert. Like mm, mm. I know exactly how everything works, so. I forget the basics that some people coming to it fresh might be like, well, hold on, how do I put a window halfway up a wall? Mm -hmm. Like how does that work kind of thing? So um, yeah, been it's been awesome. Yeah. Well, brilliant. Um, well, thanks everyone who's made it this far into this vanity episode. Uh, <laughs> All of look, the two listeners. Yeah, the two of you that have made it. Well done. <laughs> I look forward to seeing the, the metrics of this episode. Oh, it's going to tank. <laughs> especially because it'll be released on the same day yeah, as, as, the, a, as, as a, an actual episode. Yeah. So we can definitely compare the pair. Compare the pair. Um, so don't worry. Uh, this will probably be the last time we ever mention it on the body. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I think it's only fair. We get one chill episode per year. 
Okay. What was our shill episode for last year? We didn't have one. We got one in the bank. Oh, hello. Yeah. yeah. So now I have to come up with a Kickstarter in the next nine months. All right. Go. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, uh, that about covers it. So until next, we're together. Have fun hobbying. And have fun gaming. See, See you, you later. later.